Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast, brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. All right, what is up, everybody? At press time, if we're actually printing something, which we're not, we're recording something, it is mid-October. If you are a whitetail hunter, there's one thing that you are getting super jacked about, and that is the upcoming whitetail rut. Now, we all know a lot of traditional rut tactics, and they work great. You know, you can, you can hunt downwind of doe bedding areas. You can hunt pinch points. You can do a lot of different things. But what we're going to talk about today, I've got Jim to my right and Eric across the table, and we have a special guest who I won't mention yet. We're going to talk about today our unorthodox rut tactics. And no person better to get weird with it than the Zach Fahrenbaugh from THP, The Hunting Public. He's right here virtually. <laughs> Zach, what's going on, dude? Oh, not much. Just getting ready to do some hunting here in Ohio. Drove in last night and working this morning and I'm meeting up with my buddy Keith. He's finishing up some schoolwork so we can, I don't know, kind of play. He's going to play hooky a little bit in the next couple of days, take off some school so we can go hunting together. So looking forward to that and then Pennsylvania. So pretty excited. You know, it's really starting to get going here. I'm like really in the mi- middle of season to the point where it's like, it really officially feels like season. Otherwise I've kind of just been like going a little bit here and there and taking breaks, but we're hunting now. Yep. Yep. Pretty much that time to give up sleep and whatnot very yeah, soon. Exactly. Or, exactly. or school. And I'm, yeah. glad, I'm glad to hear Keith has his priorities straight. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yep. Things that are really going to matter in the long run. It's really funny that, you know, there's been a lot of opportunities in life that have been, you know, I guess le- there's less opportunity to go do certain things because of um, COVID going on. But, you know, hunting with Keith is like, it's real. the door's really been open because he's all virtual. So he can just like do schoolwork wherever. So like we've been able to hunt this last year, like so much. So, yeah. You know. I, I wonder how many people are like working from a tree stand right now, you oh, know, yeah. like like living off zoom calls and bringing in a hot spot and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, he, I know Keith earlier, just like a couple of weeks ago was sitting in his car in class with all his hunting gear on, like ready to just go right back. (laughs) That's cool. (laughs) That is awesome. That is awesome. Well, Zach, and you kind of brought it up, but it's starting to feel like season. Even on my way to work today, I'm like looking at those woods and some of the leaves are coming down yep. and they've definitely changed color and there might even be, you know, halfway on the way out. And like, I don't know about you guys, but my heart starts to, like, I don't know, like I'm getting pumped. I've also had a copious amount of coffee this do, morning. Look at him right now. If there was into. ever an incentive to watch one of our podcasts on YouTube, this is the reason why. It's just that you can <laughs> see the excitement. You I'm, can. I'm, I'm full coffeeed up right now. And I'm probably nowhere near Zach level, but like I'm at <laughs> maximum capacity. Yep. So, but so, I mean, and, and you guys were talking a little bit earlier how it's impossible to kill a deer in October or in the morning. So we already covered that uh, pre-podcast, but uh, sarcasm. But, uh, Zach, I mean, what are some things that are going on in November, maybe outside of, like, like we talked about or alluded to a little bit earlier, you know, some of those more traditional tactics? Are there things that people can do to capitalize on the rut, maybe think outside the box and do some, some interesting things to maybe see some additional success, more success, or just just do things differently to mix it up? I think absolutely. I mean, 
it's a time of the year that, you know, bucks get pretty silly. Obviously, like when you think of rut, like you've already mentioned several times, like I think, you know, we say traditionally, but like really it's just traditionally as in like the last 20, 30 years, like there's kind of been, I like to refer to it as like the rule book, like the things that you do and just like the way that you're taught based off of hunting media and that may be magazines or, or uh, hunting shows or videos, whatever it may be. Like there's, there's what I call the rule book and that's, I don't like the rule book. (laughs) (laughs) I think everything that you hear in that, like, yeah, there's, there's, there's positive things that you can learn, but like, you know, I think it kind of lets everybody kind of get set in the ways and that there's only one way to do things. And, you know, obviously the title of this podcast being unorthodox rut tactics, I mean, we're obviously going to cover a bunch of different stuff, but like, first thing is, is just having an open mind and like being willing to adapt, I think is, is important. You know, I'm going to say a lot of stuff that, you know, people, no matter what, maybe people never do or try, but like, I think that it's the time of the year where a lot of things kind of get thrown out the window and you got to take advantage of the moment more than, more than any other time of the year. Yep. Just because like, you know, where a buck is today, you know, and on November 14th or whatever, like where he is today is not going to be where he's tomorrow. More than likely. I'm not just not to say that they're not going to hang in a pocket or be in the same general vicinity, but like, I just think it's a time of the year where you can really take advantage of, you know, just how much their patterns change and how much, you know, how vulnerable they make themselves, you know, big bucks, you know, like right now, this time of the year, they're being lazy. They're not moving much. They're feeding a lot and they're feeding a lot close to their bedding areas. But like, you know, everybody talks about bucks cruising. Bucks cruising is great. And, you know, kind of your, like we've talked about the traditional rut tactics, I think, I think that they're good and they work. Obviously it's been proven that they work, but like, if you're just trying to get out of your, do something different, mix it up, make it a little bit more fun. If you feel like you're kind of just sitting around, you know, waiting, I think there's no better time than to, to, as a hunter that primarily hunts from the ground at this point, there is nothing more exciting than yep. bucks like being silly with chasing does. So, yep. And, and I, I think the big caveat there too is like there are so many tactics out there. This is just something like, you know, maybe you've been hunting for five, six days and things just aren't the balls and bouncing your way. Don't be afraid to change it up. Like, I don't think anyone here is advocating for a full on switch of what people may or may not be doing. But if you've yeah. been sitting the same pinch, pinch point or funnel the past like five days and it's just not working out, what better time to start getting creative than right now? Don't get stuck. Don't get stuck in a rut. Yeah. For, for sure. And I think, nice. I mean, <laughs> I think if you're too, it's, it's, you know, understanding what, what benefits a visual has like, or, you know, what, what are, what are the benefits of a visual? I mean, to me, when I see a buck, it's completely game on, no matter what is going on. Like there's a shooter and I see him, even if he's moving fast away from me, like naturally, like not spook, but that's the visual that, you know, we need to, we're hunting now right it's like we know he's there and i think that time of the year it just gets so easy for again to follow that rule book Mm -hmm. where it's like oh i saw him i better not spook him i better like hang loose here like there's not i don't know like toss all that out the window in my my opinion and and again i'm gonna say a lot of things here that are my style i'm not saying like like you said eric i'm not saying that i think you should 
yep. necessarily toss everything out the window if you, if you don't want to. I mean, right. But if, by all means, if you're looking to do something different, mix it up. Like, or you if you're on a short do. time frame, stuff like yeah, that. Exactly. And, and, it, and it's funny because like, you know, I'll listen to the arguments against this style of hunting and really if you've never done it, then there's no, you can't argue it because I mean, it works. It's just like, it is different. It is going to be against the norm. It's going to be like against that rule book that you've been taught for forever, but like yep. it works. And, and I, and I know it works because I've been doing it for a couple of years now. And like, yep. I guess to start, like I'll point out a couple of the op- like opportunities, like the obvious ones, like to me, you know, one, one like bad time or like a, a thing that you don't want to have happen is like bucks locked down, right? Like lockdown yep. buck. Man, that is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> yep. and, and let's define what a lockdown buck is there real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Lockdown buck is a buck that is tending a hot doe. So he's yep. essentially bedded down with the hot doe. Not moving right? a whole lot, staying yeah, in I one know. position and not really, you know, kind of operating the contrary to what people think when they hear rut. Right. And like, so let's kind of talk about lockdown and what that means to me, I guess, because, because I think a lot of rut essentially like revolves around me wanting lockdown bucks, like want lockdown bucks. So throughout the rut, you're going to get hot does that obviously that timing is going to come and go. That's why you're getting bucks moving from one to the next, like a dozen heat for three days or whatever. Once she's not buck moves on, you know, at the hunting public, we've kind of come down or come to the conclusion that early in November, a mature buck usually has it kind of figured out to where like that first week he's, you know, first week in November, as those first few does come into heat, he already knows which does are getting close. He's got the first pick because he's the dominant buck. You know, for the most part, he's not moving a ton. Now during that time frame, a lot of hunters are super gung ho to get in the woods. It's like the calendar. The calendar says November and it's like ruts on baby. And it's like, yes, that's true. And there are definitely does in heat, but like chill out a little bit because it's like that time of the year bucks, are, I, it, you know, again, in our opinion, the big bucks are generally speaking, like still not moving a ton and that's okay. A lot of times I think you're seeing, you know, kind of a, a step down or two from the mature buck of the area. So like, let's yep. say a three-year-old is a mature buck in your area, maybe three or four-year-old buck during that first week in November, two-year-old buck is just like moving. One-year-old buck is moving, they're cruising. And that kind of gets everybody this like happy feeling of like rut is on and it's, and it's action packed where in, in reality, that mature buck is still kind of in that lockdown phase. Now, Again, I'm not saying that that's bad. I want I want the lockdown phase. So fast and, forward. And why forward. is that? I just think that it makes, and we'll we'll circle back yep. to it. Like I think it just makes bucks the most vulnerable that they could ever be. Like yep. there's never a time in a mature buck's life that he's as vulnerable as when he's got a, a doe estrus with mm-hmm. him. Like period. They're, they just get they get defensive. They get to betting in silly spots, what makes them really vulnerable that they would never bet in otherwise. Basically, all you got to do is beat that doe and you can get right into that buck. Don't let him smell you and don't let the doe spook. And, yep. and you're, you can even let him see you sometimes and he won't leave. I mean, yep. and again, and again, we can dive into a little bit more of the specifics of that. But, you know, as you move further into November, 
and, and every state's going to vary. And, and, you know, as I say, November too, I recognize that, you know, in Alabama, you know, the rut is significantly right. later. So mm, right. I'm yeah. just kind of speaking general, general term of like, as I say, November, just imagine like the month of the rut, the wherever month. it is that you live. Yeah. Right. So as you know, here in the Midwest, like Ohio or Iowa, Wisconsin, for example, as you're, season progresses and you get kind of into that middle of November timeframe, there's more does and estrus, there's more bucks locked down. But that also means that like as middle of November hits, like more bucks are just getting more and more amped up and they're starting to move more, at least in my experience in the States where, you know, you have a bow season in the Midwest, a bow season that lasts the majority of November, you just get right around that like 15, 16, 17, 18 time frame, there's just an insane amount of bucks that are either locked down with those and being real vulnerable or are just like blatantly cruising, like what I call the zombie cruise, where he's not really looking or thinking about anything. He's just trying to smell that next hot dough. And yep. Just cruising just to find the next hot dough. So that opens up a lot of good doors, right? So calling is one good tactic that is open. You know, setting up in observation areas where you can just get eyes on one or get an eyes on a pattern or, or a cruising route. Um, and then obviously, like, like we said, bucks bedded with those lockdown to me opens up a huge opportunity. So that's one thing. That's just one strategy that I, I can rattle off a bunch of ideas off of quick. So yep. I think if you're thinking about a mature buck bedded with a doe, there's a couple of things that are, are unique and some things that I've learned from other hunters and just in my experience kind of solidified these ideas. But one thing that you'll notice about a mature buck when he's bedding with a hot doe is that he, like I said, he'll put himself in a vulnerable, vulnerable position. And it's not just because I don't think it's just by chance. I don't think that a buck just goes and plops down with the doe wherever. And he's like, this is good enough. Like there's a reason that he's doing it. There's a reason that he's in a specific spot with that doe. And I actually, I know Eric, Justin Syme is a friend of ours. Um, I was hunting with him, filming him in Iowa now back in 2015, I think. And he kind of brought this idea up to me. And, and, you know, since I've heard other people say it as well, but we were set up in this spot and we're in a tree stand set up and it was probably November 16th ish maybe a couple of days later, even. And I was kind of sitting there and, and to be honest, I was kind of wondering like, why are we here? Why he, like, why here? It makes sense that deer come through this spot. It's like, you know, there's obviously trails in front of us and there's a transition line, but yep, like, yep. Why, why exactly right here? If you know, Justin, like Justin doesn't say a whole lot of words, you know, unless you kind of, you kind of pick his brain on stuff. Mm-hmm. I eventually like kind of got it out of him that he, he was like, I like to set up here in this spot with this wind because we were in the corner of a woodlot and the way, the way the wind was blowing, it was blowing out towards a road, a paved road. And he said, during the rut, it seems like mature bucks will push does up in this corner of the woods because they want to get that doe to where if the wind is blowing from the corner of the woodlot out to the road, there's not going to be a lot of other bucks that get downwind of them to basically smell that doe. And I was like, hmm. dang, man, that's some deep thought. And I was like, I sat there and thought about that and was like, kind of started running through all my past memories of seeing 
a buck lockdown. Right. And this is the beginning, this is the beginning of, of me like getting really caught up in this whole idea of hunting lockdown, lockdown bucks, I guess is like, I started thinking about that and I'm like, dude, you're right. Like I've got all these memories. I'm like going down through the line of all my years of hunting, seeing bucks in November. And it's like, that is what they're doing. Like they're putting them not always a road necessarily. It's not a road, but like, you know, there's something that they're putting on the downwind side of them. That is kind of a deterrent for other bucks to be able to get downwind of them. Right. You know, a buck with a doe doesn't want to have to defend that doe all day. Like that if makes he can perfect lay there, sense. If he can lay there, stand up, breeder, and then like eventually move on without having much of a hassle with other yep. bucks. By all means, that's, that's what he's going to do. Yep. So sure enough, in that hunt, ended up seeing a, a big buck do that, pushed a doe up towards that road later in the morning. And I was like, man, that, that, that just opened my eyes a ton. So I think going, moving forward, you know, I've seen that a whole bunch now. I've seen a million different, not a million, <laughs> a lot of different examples of this happening. And yep. you can see it driving down the road. Exactly. And I think what's neat there is like in the case that you're mentioning, Justin's talking about a spot that was near a road. I mean, that mm-hmm. can be a, a lake like you guys have shown in a lot of your stuff yeah. or a, a rocky outcropping or a river. Exactly. So, I mean, are, are, is that something then that you guys are kind of looking for? Are you targeting those areas where you're going to find where deer have some kind of advantage where they can push a doe into and be kind of out there on an island, even though you might only see one, two deer that day, it might be the right two, and then you're going to be in an opportunity where you might be able to make a move on them. Yeah, for sure. Like, you know, it's going to vary, you know, obviously some areas are much more, you have a visual advantage. Like I'm sitting here, like I'm sitting here at my parents right now and they, they have like a little timber section, a pretty big timber section for this area out to the north. And around the house, there's like a little bit of timber. Well, one one year, two years ago, I was sitting here editing in this very spot. And I stood up and I walked out into the room. And I looked out the front door. And there was a mature buck bedded, locked down with the doe in the corner of the woods over there where his scent was blowing hmm. out into an open field where not a lot of deer are going to get downwind of them. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, a mature buck would never, ever bed there. Like I can guarantee I could go in there right now. And there's not a buck bedded in there. Yep. I bet there's a buck sign. I bet there's a little sign showing that he's kind of cruising, making his rounds because does do bed up there. Yep. But like a mature buck isn't bedding there now. So, you know, obviously some areas you're going to have more of a visual advantage. Other areas it's going to be, it's going to look different. Like if you're sitting here listening to this right now and you're like, dude, this doesn't apply to me. Like I can't just sit in class like um, an open CRP field or, or whatever. Like I'm, I'm dealing with big woods stuff. Yep. Well, I'll get there. That's going to look a little bit different, but I guess, you know, obviously we feel pretty strongly about that being the case. So yes, I would say the easiest one for me example is like a river bottom or Creek bottom that like a deer is going to push a doe right up against water. Mm-hmm. So a road is an example, a lake, like you said, Eric, a river, Oh, even a plowed field or something, maybe, maybe a clear cut, like a hard clear cut where there's nothing in it, where no yep. deer's any time in the daylight, you know, anything that's kind of like, I kind of think of it as like a wall where yep. most, most deer aren't going to go through it. Yep. Yep. Uh, not, and it can't happen. But um, yeah, last year, for example, Grant and I started noticing that there was a bunch of bucks down along a river and started noticing that they were taking does down there and like 
every day, like three days in a row or more, we just saw a big buck bedded with the doe, locked down with the doe in the peak of the lockdown phase of the rut, you know, kind of that traditional lockdown time frame. There was bucks every day just bedded right by that river with the doe. I guess to move forward from that, like once I see that buck, like again, I know he's vulnerable. Like yeah. there's no better time to put a stalk on a deer than when he's got a doe with him. So, you know, I'm going to, if I see a buck like that, I'm going to try to get wind in my favor, do whatever it takes essentially to, to stay out of his sight, put the wind in my favor and, and try to approach him whatever way makes the most sense. Another great example was um, a buck I shot in New York last year. That was November 6th, I think. And that buck, so... On, on a date had, on a date when most people probably wouldn't affiliate that with that lockdown phase. So I right, think that's exactly. an important caveat to make is like that lockdown phase. There isn't a week where it's like, oh, the 19th through the 24th, the bucks are in lockdown. It can happen whenever. Yeah, I mean... The thing about a lockdown is it's like, it's when a doe is in heat. So like it can happen on October 31st. Exactly. Mm, Like it does, you know, it's. So you're essentially being opportunistic on the situation that presents itself when they present themselves. Now, now it changes. It's going to look a lot different again, like I said, as, as the season progresses, because if I were, well, let me tell, let me say one thing about the New York thing, for example. So in New York, that buck was bedded on like a high point within a CRP field with essentially like a, it was like an old rundown abandoned house behind him. So he had the wind blowing towards that house, towards that, you know, where not a lot of deer were getting downwind of him. And, and there was no people around there either, but he was like on a little high point. He could see a lot. Yep. He had that doe lockdown. And, and another thing too, what you'll find is it's like, think about like a bull elk. You know, bull elk runs around his cows and he kind of herds them up and he right. makes he, he makes a decision as to like where he wants them to go. Exactly. The same thing with a mature buck with a doe. Like I watched a buck last year just just pin a doe up against a river. He would not let her get away from that river. Like everything that she tried to do, he would just block it off. Yep. And it was like it was like watching a it was like watching a, a bull know, with a harem, basically. Yeah, exactly. Or like watching a like, like watching like a uh, a basketball player defend somebody from going, you know, to the basket. It was like wow. every time that doe tried to move, he was cutting her off hmm. and just making sure she stayed there. And it was it was really, I you know, it's always a learning experience. It's not the first time I've seen that, but yep. like I got to watch it for a long time, and it just kind of solidified all those theories that like he wants her to be there. It's not her decision at all. It's his decision. Yep. yep. Now, yeah. Again, that turn that makes it so that it's like they put themselves in vulnerable positions because again, otherwise he would never be there. That buck would never be there by himself. Yep. But because he's trying to hide from those other bucks, he's trying to make sure deer aren't getting downwind of him. So he needs that doe to be right against the river where the wind is blowing over the river, where no other buck can just like cruise downwind, yep. smell him for a fight. Because like he doesn't want to fight either. Like right. he will, but he doesn't want to. Yep. So I've got a situation that I want to paint for you and just kind of get your your thoughts on how you'd approach it. So it's mid- middle of November. It's a calm, cool, crisp morning, like one of those mornings where you can hear a pin drop from, you know, 200 yards away. 
You've been hunting for five, Gosh, six you have days. Good hearing still. Yes, and uh, you've been hunting. Gotten that itis in the years. It's an itis. <laughs> you've been hunting for five, six days. So you're kind of wore out. You're going into a spot that you haven't been before. You know you're going to make a ton of noise when you're going in there. How are you approaching a sit like that, where you kind of don't really have a few like like any hot leads in the area or anything like that? Because I have some thoughts on that. But I just kind of want to think, want to get your thoughts on how you would approach a situation where all the leaves are on the ground. You know you're not going to be able to access it quietly, and you don't know where specifically bucks are bedded. You're on a, you know, out of state hunt. I would say if I was just going right into something, like I don't. First off, I wouldn't be going in for a a sit or yep. a setup until I knew until I knew the area and I did figure out where those bucks were. Yep. So it kind of opens up an opportunity, like I said, to that. I I've been trying to kind of circle back to this to a certain degree, like during that time of the year, I also don't really mind about bumping them. So like I'll put the wind in my favor. I'll start going towards the areas where I expect like the highest deer densities, which, you know, that's a whole different rabbit hole to talk about. Like I could go down the whole line of things that like we're looking for, but to put it in a nutshell, it's like, I'm looking for areas where, there's not a lot of hunters, you know, however I figure that out based off of how hard it is to access or just like monitoring an area by driving by. And then past that, it's like trying to figure out where the highest habitat diversity is. So as many transition lines as possible would be the ideal. So let's say I found myself going into that position, into that spot and I'm going right for it, but like moving in for one, listening, if you got calm conditions, yep. like listen, especially that time of the year, like there's going to be a chase going on somewhere yep. or a buck hunting or cruising, you know, using your ears is yep. super yep. important. And, and, and real quick, what time are you going in? After daylight, yep. probably. Okay. Like, probably an hour, you know, as long as I can see well enough to where I can see like a hundred yards, because I don't like not being able to see more than a hundred yep. yards because of gray light, because then I end up just bumping stuff because I can't see. Yeah. And get in. I'm I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that's one thing, you know, you've got guys that are taking off their first full week or their second full week in November. And in doing that, they're they're you're getting run down as a hunter just as much as the deer are, you know, yep. being in the woods because you're waking up at three AM, you're going to bed at eleven PM and you know, you've you're just running yourself ragged. So I guess my point being it's not a bad idea to sleep and get out there at first light or an hour after first light. Um, yeah, I'm a big like I used to get so worked up, man, about stuff that like, I don't even, I don't even think I don't even consider anymore. Now, a lot of it is because my style is evolving and like, yeah, maybe if I wanted to get in and put a whole day's worth of, of time into a tree stand setup where, yep. you know, I was on a funnel and I felt like at some point when I was going to come through there, you know, I would probably approach it a little bit differently, but like with this, you know, what I would consider just the maximum mobility you know, being on the ground, it's like, I'm not, I'm not nearly as concerned about time because I have all day. All I'm looking for is that visual or that like really good sign to say, Hey, it's time to stop here and be just hang loose here to get that visual or get one to come past. So like, right. I'm, I'm, I'm more just playing it by ear. You know, as I'm moving in, in that situation, I'm doing a lot of listening. I'm doing a lot of glassing. I'm trying to get into positions where I can see a lot, because yep. again, I do think that let's say you're in Michigan or, you know, Southern Wisconsin or something where there's like a more or, or Eastern Wisconsin where you got more limited cover and yep. lots of hunters, lots of hunters is the yep. big thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Those deer are sticking to the cover more, but like 
during that time of the year too, they're also going to be the time of year where they're going to just like move a big move and go right through open timber yep. cruising or something. I mean, that stuff still happens. Like, yep. I'm, and I'm not saying it happens a ton, but like, again, if I'm zoning in on this area that I think is the best area, I'm trying to see as much as possible. And again, listening, especially I love calm conditions, I, I, especially during the rut, like, or late, late season, like give me calm conditions all day. Cause I can hear stuff. Right. Mm. I think that's like kind of a weird like lost art to a certain degree is like knowing how to like listen yeah move slow enough to like cover ground and find stuff yeah but also and jimmy like like you made that joke like man you can hear long ways or whatever like like my dad says that all the time and zach i know you and i have talked about this a ton where people say like oh you can hear a deer 100 yards away you can you 100 percent can if you're moving oh, yeah. slow and if mm, you yeah. and if you got the right conditions i was, I was just thinking about that too as as you talk to uh, you talk to somebody who hasn't really deer hunted much before. I guess I'm wondering to myself: Do you feel like maybe the more unorthodox approach that you might take more frequently now, where you're on the ground, you're moving, you're more mobile instead of sitting in one spot? Do you feel like that's something that somebody listening to this who is a total beginner and they're thinking to themselves, well, "What way am I going to go? Am I going to go by the old rule book, quote unquote, or am mm-hmm. I going to go the more unorthodox way?" Is that what you're describing is a lot of stuff. You've had so much experience in the woods, seeing things. You know what buck sign looks like, where to find it, where bucks are most likely to be, or deer just in general. And then also, I'm sure I've heard deer before. Yep. Like, I, How many times have we been out where you're like, oh, do you hear that deer just blow at us? And I'm like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. And, and I just don't, I'm sure I heard it. But right. I don't know what I. You didn't hearing. tie it to a source. You, I didn't you heard it. it. Yeah. You, you you heard it, but you didn't listen to it. You know. Right. It's and like noise. It's rather than. And a lot of the noises that deer make are noises that squirrels you, make. You hear other things make yep. before. Like been, I remember the I've first been told time that before, Eric. You're hearing me, but you're not listening. It didn't really have to do with deer. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's weird. But, I've heard that before too, but kind of similar to deer. I don't know where it was coming from. Yeah, I just kind of like heard it. But uh, <laughs> the context of the conversation yeah. actually is completely yeah. gone. Like, there's only certain things where sometimes if I'm not listening for them or I don't know them, they stick out. Like, what was the first time I heard a Bob White out there in the yep. uh, out outside the building? You know, that perfect example. <laughs> yep. I was like, oh, I've never heard that before. But otherwise, all the other birds tweeting, you're just kind of used to, and I can never pick them out like Mike McDowell can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's because he knows. So, anyways, I feel like. Um, do you think that it does take a lot of experience and just going out and trying it and listening for things and just trying to associate them or I do. I think, yes. I mean, I'm saying a lot of things to it. And like, I think sometimes I definitely get, I think I take for granted how many, like when I've, I've legitimately been hunting for over 20 years, you know, like I've been hunting for a long time. So yeah, I do think that sometimes I take for granted experience, but what I will say is, is I think that not, not just like diving into things head first is it hinders people. So for example, if you wanted to hunt and you're a brand new hunter and you're like, you're, you're going out and to bow hunt, like, let's just use the example of like Ohio for, for just the sake of giving it a location. You're going yep. out in Ohio, you're on your first November hunting situation. If you go out and you just kind of set up and you're just like, you're really like kind of stuck in a spot or you're in, even if you're moving around a little bit, it's like, to me, hunting from the ground or just being mobile 
and as, as much as you can be, you're going to learn so much yep. more so fast. And I, I think back on like, okay, so I've, I've broke this down in my head a million times. Like, how did you, like, how, how did you become so obsessed with this? And like, where did you learn some of the basics? And, you know, I ask myself that all the time and I can, I'm, you know, I'm sitting here at my parents and I can, can pretty much say that where I learned the basics of this style of hunting was here, you know, in the yard or in the, or in the back, right behind the house. Right. Yep. Like, and even just now, even earlier, 15 minutes, 15 minutes before I got on here with you guys, I stepped outside. I pee in the front yard because there's no houses around. So I'm country living, out. baby. Yeah. So I'm standing on the yard on the porch peeing and I hear squirrels <laughs> and I start hearing squirrels barking. Then I start hearing something moving in the woods. So like next thing, you know, I, I find myself like creeping down around the house, listening, stopping, listening. And I'm like, this, this is the exact example of like how I got into yep. doing this or yep. how I even started to do it. Or like, I remember trying to shoot at groundhogs behind the house here. Like there's a bunch of groundhogs or woodchucks, if yep. you will like living, you know, in this farm country stuff in Ohio. Yep. Yeah. Shoot those like, things. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I, I, spend, <laughs> I spent insane amount of hours stalking those or squirrels right. or whatever it may be. And it's like, you start to kind of learn the basics of like kind of that cadence where, you know, you're moving slow enough to still hear things. And, and you kind of, it's this different form of patience, like been quoted saying like, you know, I don't have any patience and I don't have any patience for sitting in one location yeah. for countless hours, but I do have a different type of patience that like, you can move hard to slow. Right. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Moving it, slow is hard. Yeah. I think sometimes stalking actually requires More, a way yeah. higher level of patience and concentration yeah, yeah. and oh yeah, 100%. I mean, just the, oh, yeah. uh, I mean, like you get, like you get done with a long stock, whether you're successful or not successful, right. dude, like, you're exhausted. You're exhausted. Yeah. Yes. I've like drained. Yep. I got one thing, Zach, on that on that situation that we were talking about. That silent morning yeah. and and like I still never really. Yeah. I still no. No. Yeah. I, th I think you you pretty much got to. got to it. But like basically, the reason I bring that up is a couple of years ago it was the first year that you guys started out. I was working at a different job at the time and had already filled my tag in Wisconsin and, and had that first week in November off and kind of went down and, and helped film that week. And yeah. I was with Warb, and we went into a spot that was that exact situation. It was dead calm. It was either both of our first times going in there, so we had no idea really where we were going. We just knew the, the general area. Now, the hindrance here, looking back, what we ended up doing that was wrong in that situation is we had a destination in mind. Mm -hmm. And we knew that we wanted to get to a specific spot, and once we got to that specific spot, we wanted to get in a tree. So going in there... You know, it's one of those things. We allocated an hour to get in. It ended up taking two hours. We got in well after first light and made a ton of noise crunching through the leaves on this, you know, crisp, cold, frosty morning. So in doing that, actually, you know, this is all hindsight, you know, retroactively looking at the situation and picking it apart. But in doing that, all of a sudden we're hanging the stand, a buck comes by. And it's clearly like looking for something that was making that sound. And then another buck comes by, and this is about a 160-inch 10-pointer that comes into about 15 yards, and Warb has his one arm around the tree and a bow in the other hand and a, a tree stand in the other. So there's no way that he can get a shot off. So to, to wrap a bow on that, 
we would have been better off if we would have just gone in there with no destination in mind. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing here, like we're talking unorthodox tactics. So much of, of hunting, you hear like creep, sneak, be quiet. Oh, yeah. Throw it away. Be loud in, on, on a situation like that. But you, Zach, you just alluded to that cadence that a squirrel might make versus yeah. what a deer makes versus what a human makes. It, right. It, I'm I was not gonna say you don't want to sound like a human necessarily. <laughs> right. Right. No, you never, you never want to sound like a human. I got stuff to say about this. Yep. Yep. And, and then I hate people. And then the last part of that that situation is then that afternoon we had pulled that stand. We went into another spot. And this was an area where there were a bunch of maple leaves that had just come off the trees. So a ton of leaf cover. And same thing. We're hanging. So twice in a time frame of six hours, we had three mature bucks within 20 yards. All of them came once we had reached the stand location. We were quiet for about 15, 20 minutes. So I'm sure what happened is we were getting close to wherever those bucks were bedded. That sound went quiet for 20 minutes, and that was just enough for them to get a little bit curious and mm-hmm. come in and check out the situation. I know you got something on that. 100%. Man, like, and like, it's so hard to explain. And this is, this is the part where the experience, I think, really plays into the decision making process. But like, I run a lot. Like, you would be amazed if you could see all, like, you could just watch a whole day of hunting, how much I just like run or yep. we'll just like, move really quick for like 40 yards and then stop and listen or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it's all, it's all in the, as I, as one of my main goals, as I continue to do this is to get better at explaining exactly every little situation. So, you know, hopefully in like five, 10 years, we can revisit this, <laughs> have more <laughs> like why, when and how and why, you know, and where, where I feel when it makes sense to do this, but it's like, sometimes like, yeah, making that sound is important and, and to sound like a deer, but then knowing how to like grab cover, stop and listen yep. is important. So this could be a couple examples of like, let's say I got into some open timber and I'm going like, let's say there's parallel ridges running or like secondary ridges as they fall into a creek bottom that they're, the, those ridges are perpendicular to them, but they're parallel to each other. Does that make sense? Like Mm-hmm. Yep. So the secondary ridge for, for, you know, someone who might not be super familiar is that little feeder ridge that goes into the main vein. If you're picturing a, uh, an artery, the main ridge is the main artery. The secondary ridge is that additional vein that comes off of it. Yep. Got yep it. Exactly. And usually those fall, those usually drop in elevation and start to fall. So like, right. let's say I'm kind of covering like right at the kind of top of those secondaries as they meet up with the main ridge and I'm moving across there. And like, let's say I get to, I get to the top of this one and I'm looking towards this one while well, I'm standing there. And I got this, this ground between me that I can pretty much see all the way down to the valley to the bottom and all the way back up to that other side. You know, the next place that I think a deer is going to be is all the way over at that next valley. Like I can see everything between me and it. That's a perfect example of like when I'm going to move really fast and I'm just going to cover that ground, maybe coming up the backside of the hill, I'll let out a couple grunts or something to try to sound like a deer. And then as soon as I get to a position where I can see a little bit more to the next kind of that next line of sight or that next like section that you can see, I'll stop at the edge of it, listen, watch. You know, and then I may just do the next, do that same thing going up the next spot. And it's like, it's a situation, like I, I say this a lot of times too, with Turkey, I kind of learned how to do this Turkey hunting, I yeah. guess. So, so picture like you're standing on top of a ridge and you call and you can see 
150 yards down the hill and up to the and up to the next spot or whatever. So so 150 yards. You call, stand there listening as a turkey hunter. Nothing gobbles. You can't hear any scratching or anything. Calm. So you hear that, or you or you you make the decision. Okay, there's nothing there. Well, there's no point in creeping now for 150 yards because you've pretty much decided that hey, there's nothing between here and 150 yards. So like get to that next spot rather quick. Mm-hmm. And I feel the same way with deer hunting. Like if I'm in a calm morning, like you said, Eric, like I'm going to slowly, I'm going to slowly move as I approach like certain things. But other times, like if I've got a big section that I've already decided, okay, in this hundred yards of open timber right here, you know, I've sat here for five, 10 minutes, listened, maybe 20 minutes, listened, watched, haven't heard anything. I'm not going to like spend a whole bunch of time creeping through that open timber because right. for one, if something does start to show up in there, I'm probably like going to get caught off guard, yep. but otherwise I'm just trying to get to that next patch of cover for me and get into a new like area where I can see a whole new spot. Yeah. So mm-hmm. another thing then, cause I, cause I do have more to that situation for like, sure. Let's say, let's say in that calm condition, I'm in like big timber. Yeah great example of like not maybe you don't have as much of a visual like yeah i could go back to like using you know some more open country like farm country mm-hmm. yeah a lot of times there i'm gonna just try to get a visual and then move in on right something. i've got one thing there zach when you kind of talked about how you're moving from open cover or from thick cover through open cover to another piece of thick cover it's almost like if you think about like paintballing or something like that like yeah. you've got your things that you're like hiding behind or whatnot and then you're exactly. you're running across stuff so just to help people visualize that, like you've got your cover, that's where you're going to set up for a little bit. You know now that you've got a hundred acre or not a hundred, eight hundred yard swath of CRP or, or open timber. That's what you're going to run through to get set up at your next yeah. barrier. I mean, yeah. and, and you know, a good example too, not deer, but you know, Jim and I were hunting antelope the other week. We had those doe tags yeah. and yeah. we had a group that was, I don't know, eight, 875 yards away. We ranged They were on the move. I think some other hunters might've bumped yeah. them a little bit. And man, they got behind this knob and we, we didn't end up getting them, but I mean, we were hustling and yep. charging and because they were behind that barrier. And, and like you said, Zach, you can see everything between you. It's like, it's go time. Exactly. Right. I'm, I'm about to break into that a little bit here, even in a white, in a, even in a different setting completely than hunting prom. You're hunting timber and you're moving through there and, and okay, worst, the worst thing ever, you spook a huge buck. If you're, talking, if you're talking like rut that buck is going to forget about you so fast yep. that like it, it's all good and here's one thing that like just it just man it just blows my mind and now granted some of this is is dependent on like the type of ground you're hunting like i hunt public land on purpose so i can have like a lot of ground to roam on and it's not you know, I just don't like to be limited by property lines because I like to hunt things. I don't like to wait for them to come by. It's yep. just my preference. For so sure. therefore I'm hunting big tracks of public land. So when I bump a deer, especially like, let's say, let's say I'm doing that thing where I'm going kind of up and down ridges and I'm popping into the next spot. Well, all of a sudden I go a little too hard and I bump a buck with a doe and they run down and go out of sight. Well, first thing, instead of pouting, think about one, why the deer is there. And then two, think about where he's going next. Sit there and look at the map. And then also, like, if you see him go up and over a hill, a lot of times, like I said, those bucks are going to be pretty silly. Like, they're not really thinking about, like, anything other than that dose. They're, they kind of even disagard danger to a certain right, degree. Right. Like, let's say I were to watch 
a deer go up and over a ridge. As soon as he goes up and over that ridge, I'm going to try to cut that distance and catch up with him mm-hmm. because a lot of times I know that it's like, Taboo. You, know, you go look at that rule book. It's like, you don't want to bump a deer because then he's going to go nocturnal. It's like, whatever you bump a deer, he's just going to go over that hill and stop. Like, and, and you've just gained a little bit of an under the, the cover pro uh, look at like what worked for him on that day. And now you can apply that to different areas. For sure. So like, you're not only learning what happened in that situation, but like the deer didn't just go under the ground. He didn't just, he didn't just disappear. The deer literally ran that direction. He's over there. Like, don't overthink <laughs> that. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, yep, it's, so 100%. Crazy that, it's super crazy that like people aren't talking about that at all. But like the deer didn't leave. Like he didn't leave the, 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 the woods. He didn't leave the world. Right. Like, he's like, he's over that way now. He's over there. I saw him. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. So like, you can't, and it varies every, again, every situation is going to vary, you know, based off of if you bump the buck or if it's a lone buck or if it's a buck with a doe, or if it's, you know, thick cover or he smells you, sees you, hears you, whatever, all that stuff's going to vary. But like, I was going to ask, like, does the type of bump, you know, like if you just, you know, get them up, maybe the wind was in your favor, but he heard something, didn't like it. Boom. You know, they get out of there versus like winding where it's like, okay, no, that was a dude. Let me give you, let me give you a great, a couple things that I think would really paint the picture. Well, you pop up over a ridge, you pop up on a ridge, boom, you watch two deer stand up. You can, you see one that's a big buck and a doe. You hear them run off, you hear them run down to the bottom and maybe back up the other side. And then they stop. Mm -hmm. You can hear them stop. Maybe you can even kind of see them. You stand there, you be patient, you listen, maybe they blow a couple times, but then you hear them just kind of bound and run off. And they go up and over the hill. And now they're like, now, yes, they're in a different like area code almost. Like they're in a different section of terrain than you are. So let's say ridge, ridge, you bump them, they go up and over this ridge. Well, now they're over in this area. You know, you're in, you're still in this valley and ridge system. Well, now they're in the next one. Well, great. We'll go over there. <laughs> you know, like if that's the case and you can recognize that, hey, he wasn't that bummed. Like I'm going to try to get on that same exact path that they went to. Ideally, you know, usually they're running into the wind. So trailing them, you're going into the wind too, most of the time, yep. or at least have a crosswind. Yep. So like if I see one and I'm very sure that he just went over a terrain feature, like you were saying, Mark, with the pronghorn thing, like as soon as they get on the backside of that hill, you guys cut that distance. Say, I want to do the same thing, especially, especially when we're talking about a vulnerable buck with a doe, because He's probably going to bed back down rather soon. He doesn't want to be moving around, leaving all that scent around. Yep. Like he's not trying to like broadcast his location. Like they're going to get over that ridge. They're going to check and be, they're going to stand around for a while too. And that's another thing. Like if you cut that distance within the next like 20 minutes or 30 minutes, like be ready to get eyes on him again, standing milling around, maybe browsing on some stuff as they get ready to like, yep. cause basically, what they're doing is is they get to this new location and they're feeling it out you know they're standing there they're on their feet they're looking they're listening they're not moving a lot but they're they're trying to make sure that hey there's not other bucks or hunters in this area or predators in general so they're hanging loose they're looking around kind of browsing on a lot of times you'll see the doe kind of start to relax more than the buck and the buck will be standing there looking and she'll feed and browse and then she'll bed but that buck will still stand there and look. Mm-hmm. And then after a while, he'll bed with her. 
if you can get back eyes back on them, that's great. But like, I mean, that's kind of the ideal situation, I think. And I, I, and it's easier said than, or I'm sorry, it's easier done than I think even it sounds like you're probably listening, you know, if you've never done it, you're listening to this and you're like, I don't know, but it takes experience. I'm not saying overnight, you're going to be able to right. just like run one down and just like know exactly how to kill him. But like, as you do it more and more and practice it and, and learn more about what you're getting into. And again, I just think that, yes, I think that hunting from a stand and if that's what you want to do, by all means, it's, it's good. But like, you're going to learn way more about deer. Yeah. Than yeah. Just style. yeah. As, as a new hunter, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Are you, uh, when you're covering that ground, you know, we were talking a little bit about sounding like a human. Are you, trying to sound like a deer as you're covering that ground at all, or even <laughs> making some calls. I know, I know you don't want to have that buck think like, Oh, there's a buck hot on yeah, my heels, yeah. I guess. But, but in, in addition to that, Zach, talk about uh Turkey diaphragm with this too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, go, what, go, finish your thought, Mark. I feel like, I, I guess. I don't well, know I mean, and maybe, it, maybe it ties into that, you know, yeah. cause, cause one thing that sure. I was going to talk about just essentially sounding like other things in nature. So yep. they go, Oh, that's not a human headed this way. Because right. I, I know I've actually been hunting elk and bumped deer that were headed right towards some elk that I was trying to get into and calmed those deer down immediately with cow calls. Yeah, yeah. So, and like, I mean, from running to stop, milling about, browsing, good to go. And you right. know, able, we didn't end up getting a bull. Um, there wasn't a legal bull in the group. But we were able to slip around those deer within actually very close range. I don't think we ever even lost sight of the deer. Right, right. Or and then you can also get to a point. Now I'm talking about deer and elk hunting. Uh, great. Uh, but um, you can get to a point where maybe you actually are past the deer. And if they do bump, they're not going into yep. what you're trying to get into. So anyway, those are my thoughts yeah. there. But maybe it's sounding like nature. Let's yeah. go back yep. to that. Oh, hundred. yes, yes. That's great. And I mean, it all plays back into somewhat of experience and cadence and knowing what I always, I actually, I get this pain in my leg as season goes on because I tiptoe. I'll for a whole deer season, I walk on my toes because I can sound like deer hooves if I walk on my toes versus walking on my whole foot. Yeah, you, know you I mean? get that sure. heel toe versus your. That is dedication. Yeah. So like throughout by by definitely by December, I know that I'm like walking on toes only and you know, I would say that's one factor. And then another thing is, is like, like Eric said, a turkey, a turkey call. Like if you're coming up the backside of the ridge and like, let's say you're coming up this, you're coming up this way to the top. And as you're going up to the top, you're in heavy leaves and you just watch that buck run over the hill or better yet, better yet, just a buck cruised over that direction or, or is walking over the sure. backside if I'm coming up the backside of that and I can be calling like lightly, like with a turkey call and kind of scratch, mm-hmm. if I know my sound, I can't, if I know I can't beat him with being quiet, I'll yep. beat him with being loud. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Makes total sense. Every, every situation's different. And I would say the majority of the time, I personally feel like I can beat them with being quiet, like even in dead, dead calm conditions. Like I'm pretty confident at this point with my cadence that. For the most part, I, I feel pretty good about it. The time where it gets hard is later in the season, like as like really, really into like gun seasons or like late archery seasons. But that's a different topic. You know, during during the rut, I would say you can usually use the conditions that you're dealt with in your favor to actually be quieter than yep. danger. 
sounding like danger, if that makes quieter than a human, right? I mean, that's the big thing. You're trying to be quieter than any other human that a deer has ever heard. And like, to be honest, that's pretty easy because most people are pretty loud. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, just using that, using the terrain and then the conditions and, and I don't really like to have to call to something if I don't have to. Like if I, the ideal situation always to me is deer having no, essentially no idea that I'm move, making moves on him. But if it gets to that point and it definitely grunting at him or even like, or even if you bump a deer. So like, let's say here, another factor that we're not talking about much is like other deer. And I, I, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a million times. And I mean, it's happened to me, but I don't like to use it as, as an excuse. Like I've heard the excuse made a lot of like, man, I was hunting and I was, I made, I saw a buck and I made a move on him. And then it, if the, if that other buck wouldn't have come in, I would have killed him. It's like, well, be on your toes enough too to recognize the fact that like, if there's a hot doe, like there's probably going to be other deer. Like at some point a satellite buck is going to pop in and he's going to be a factor. And like, you got to know when it makes sense too to like bump those deer in the right direction or, you know, keep them away from this target. So like, let's say you're, you're targeting this buck in a doe in front of you and you're moving in on him. And all of a sudden, you know, a little year and a half old buck comes in and he's coming towards that bigger buck with the doe. You got to kind of know like, Hey, I got to shoo him off in the right direction or at the right time. That way he doesn't blow this whole thing because if he gets between me and them and then I bump him, it's, it's game over. But I mean, again, that's kind of all reading the situation and, and, I don't really even know exactly where I was going with that, but, but point how you, is, how do you keep, how do you best keep another buck away from the buck you're trying to target? You just kind of like bring a flashlight along and no Morse code or I, just, I just kindly push him and say, get the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> what I, well, I think if you've got other deer, that's another thing too. Like don't get too caught up in that other deer to the point where like, like if it makes sense to just bump him away, like do that, you know, yep. or, or if you're moving it. Yeah. If you're ever moving in on a target, whether it's an area or a buck and you see a non-target deer, like, you know, using your best judgment of like how to just nudge it away. Usually it's like, you can kind of do that, I guess. Pretty mm-hmm. easily. I'll tell you what, I'm still at the point. I'll just shoot whatever one I can shoot. There's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. <laughs> and that too. Yeah. And I, I guess I'm saying these things, you know, targeting big, big bucks. Like if you're hunting the rut too, you know, some, un, I guess, as far as unorthodox tactics, like just generally moving through the woods that time of the year, like everything's more curious, right? Mm-hmm. Like big bucks, little bucks, does, whatever. And like, I would just say that in general, if you are spending time around areas where deer are right, just understanding, like for one, just being able to understand how you're going to get enough cover is number one. Like, I think if you're the type of person that like you want to break into ground hunting and stock hunting or whatever, and all of a sudden you're just like, you find yourself on the ground, just practicing, like grabbing cover or like getting cover yeah, or, you know, being patient in certain areas that make sense. And I think that's kind of the fun of it to me is it's, it's a constant decision, right? You know, where, and I think, again, this kind of plays into, Jimmy, you were talking about like getting into the experience aspect of it, I guess. It's like, I think that you learn a lot really quickly by doing this because you're moving and you're getting to make decisions constantly. And like, mm-hmm. you're going to have a consequence for every decision right. that you make yeah. and really quickly. You're going to learn. So I think, I think one thing like 
looking back on my experiences personally, like I would, you know, maybe scout something in the off season or whatever. And I would go, I would set up a tree stand. If I didn't see anything, I'd be like, man, that sucks. Too right, bad. Right. Well, now I think that with what I'm doing now, there's a, there's a, there's more consequences to the decisions. And then there's more decisions where just a setup is just one, essentially just one decision until action happens. Right. You're just in one very single decision. You're deciding to set up here where if you're still hunting or moving through areas, it's like you're constantly making these little tiny decisions to say, okay, do I keep moving? How fast do I move? How quiet do I want to be? Should I call here? Should I, you know, should I make a calling sequence and then move? Should I, okay, I see a buck. Should I cut the gap now or should I wait? Should I wait five more minutes to let him make sure he's behind that hill? You know, it's, it's, it's a constant, like, like you said, Mark, to focus and it takes so much focus to where like, I, I, I was using this example the other day to somebody, I don't even remember who I was talking to. I do a lot of just, you know, BSing generally. So I don't know. <laughs> I was talking with a buddy and, you know, I can, the one thing that's so cool about what I'm doing right now is when I go hunting, I disconnect from everything. You know, in the past I'd sit there and I'd look at my phone or even, even in the times where I, you know, I do find myself in somewhat of a setup or turkey hunting. Like, you know, if I'm just not hearing anything and I'm set up, it's like I'm sitting there looking at my phone or I'm like, you know, thinking about other things and I'm letting like kind of the world get to me, I mm. guess. I'm letting the world tap into my hunt where, you know, when I'm still hunting, it's me in the woods, baby. Like there's nothing else. I'm not looking at my phone. I'm not even really looking at my mm. map that much other than like looking at the next spot. I'm just kind of like maybe the route that I'm taking, but like mm. once I kind of lock into that, it's just like me in the woods and, and I'm, I'm so focused on exactly those little decisions that I make every step of the way that I'm not letting other things interfere. Yeah. You gotta be on for sure. And I, I, you know, again, like I said, at the very beginning of this, I don't want to discourage anybody from anything that they're doing. I just want to encourage people to recognize what they want out of it. You know, if you want, you know, I, I, I really enjoy personally, like I love running, I love hiking, I love working out in general. Like, you know, if I can make hunting more physical, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And that's and it, one aspect of it, I it, guess. Too. Yeah. And that's a, that's a great point, too, because, like, look at a year like this year where we've got a ton of new licensed buyers. You're going to have more people in the woods. And I know for a lot of folks, a big hurdle is that getting up in a tree stand or a saddle. Like, sure. you know, and I think a lot of times people, like, look at the the rule book so to speak and they think that i need to if i'm going to do activity x i need to do sub activity y and nest like tree stands and deer hunting aren't necessarily joined at the hip and this is a great example if someone just bought a bought a bow this spring and summer and they want to go hunting walk around the woods understand basic deer sign you're going to learn a heck of a lot about it mm-hmm. and there's no better time than the rut to capitalize on that because you just yeah. have so much stuff working mm-hmm. out in your favor well and it's less i mean you're talking about like one of those hurdles is monetary right i mean like a tree stand and steps and everything it's, it's gear intensive oh wait now i need a, a good backpack to carry my tree stand or whatever what have you you know i mean it, it kind of it simplifies it like you said you're gonna you're gonna learn a heck of a lot you're probably gonna blow a lot of things up in your face too, but, but that's okay. But too. That's okay. Yeah. Like that's, that's the thing is like, you're not a bad guy. If you bump a deer, like 
a tree stand hunter, as much as he hate, you know, a hardcore tree stand guy that wants to tell you that you're wrong. Cause, cause that's out there too. I mean, right. Exactly. The hate, the hate that I get and you know, my, me and my friends get, I guess, from doing this style of hunting is like, it's real. Yeah. People are going to get pissed at you, but the reality is, is you're not a bad guy. You're just doing it different than what they're doing and yeah. that's okay. And doing what they're doing is okay. I'm not, and I'm not trying I would say to like ruin anybody's experience by any means. Like if I see that somebody's in an area, you know, I don't go hunt there because I know that, you know, yep, that's a yeah. really, really good point. Well, and yeah. it, I mean, it, and that can be aggravating, right? I mean, I hunt actually a lot of small pieces of public. And so yep. you don't have a lot of room to go room to roam. So like, you know, you pick your spot and, and push your chips in and go for it. Right. Right. And I have had, and nothing against squirrel hunters, but like, I'm just like, really, it's November 6th and you're walking through here squirrel hunting, which they have every right to do. But I'm right. like, gosh, why wouldn't you be hunting deer right now? But um, <laughs> the, moment, the moment it's frustrating, but like, again, you're not, like you said, they're, they have every right to do it and they're not bad guys for going right. and having different interests. And, and, I think and for every squirrel hunter that's bumped a buck away from a hunter, there's a squirrel hunter that's bumped a buck to a hunter. Well, I was just about you know? to say the same thing, and that's what I try to tell myself yep. is like, hey, that guy could have pushed the big one right to me. Exactly. So. Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's one of those things like looking back on it myself and, you know, all the things that I've learned in the last few years, things that I look back and it's easier to say all the things that I didn't learn because of what I was doing. You know, I was I was at one point in my hunting career and I know Eric, you know, Eric and I have known each other for a long time and well, you know, a good chunk of time at least. And like, you know, man, I told you before I ever started working at Midwest Whitetail, which is when, when Eric and I met back in like 2015, Yep. like the years prior to that, I was in a, I was in a rut. I was doing the same thing every time. Yeah. I mean, essentially like I was hunting different stands, but I like, I'd actually got to a point where for a few years, right before 2015, basically my, my later college days. So, you know, whatever, 20 to 22 or, or, or whatever, 19 to 21, right in that time frame for like three, four years, maybe I was doing less and less mobile hunting more and more set up, like in the perfect spot, what I thought was a perfect spot. And I wasn't learning anything man like looking back on that i was essentially wasting my time out there right because i was so caught up in following the rules and not spooking deer and you know hunting a specific buck or a bigger or you know a specific size of buck and it was like man i was i was not learning anything right now if i would have just got out of the tree stand and walked around i guarantee i would have learned more yep. stuff like, mm -hmm. i can't it. You know, I, I got to a point where I was doing so much of the same thing. The deer had patterned me so much that I was not seeing big bucks hardly, you know, other than rare occasions right. here during the rut. And it was, it, it honestly became so not fun, it became so not fun that I remember, I again, I've probably told you this, Eric. I remember yep. a day specifically sitting in a tree stand with my, my friend, Ben, who I've hunted with for forever. And I said, should we stop doing this? Yeah. Should we stop deer hunting? Yeah. Yep. I'm like, I think we were this close. Yeah. To be 
not that long ago. Unbelievable. And, and, and you see that a lot. Like, I, like it's the plateau in the experience. You know, you think about someone who works out a lot. They do the same thing every single day, five days a week for yeah. 52 weeks out of the year. Mm-hmm. That person all of a sudden goes through a month-long period where they're like, they love working out. That is how they identify as a person. But then they go a month without working out because they're sick of doing the same exact thing. Yeah. So sure. this, this that relates exactly to deer hunting. If you're if you love bow hunting, maybe you've got a style. Maybe you're kind of a hybrid of both. It's a perfect example that this is the the best time of year to start. You know, if you want to dabble in something, or if you're just you know looking for a way to switch things up, here's a great way to do it. Right, and I, I don't think you get you don't have to pick. Right? right, you don't have to be like, oh, I'm over tree stands. I'm never tree stand hunting again because, dude, I love hunting from a tree, and it's like, like you said, Zach, it's it's a different. It's, it's a, a different experience, tool. you know. Maybe one day or some days I just want to mellow out. And it's like you're still, like, tuned in and you're still completely present. You're still listening for those footsteps. You're still listening for that grunt, you know. But it is a little bit more passive, you know, a little bit more meditative perhaps. But then, you know, you can you can mix it up or try something new. Or, you know, if, if you do see that buck that's, you know, over there, you know, maybe go and get him. And I, I probably would if a person has the opportunity to try, you know, ground hunting, and tree stand hunting, I would do both because I think you can learn and observe deer and nature kind of in different ways. You know, I mean, it's cool to be up in an elevated stand and look down and just have these things going on mm-hmm. mere yards away right underneath your feet. And you're like, you know, I've had deer so close that I could hear um, hear them pluck, you know, the these little Clovers, heart-shaped yeah. leaves off the ground. And you're hearing just that little nip and snap. You're like, whoa, like that is a pretty, pretty amazing cool. thing to hear, right? So I don't know. It's yeah, all think cool. you're gonna think you're gonna ground hunt this year, Mark? Oh yeah. With yeah. with that, I mean, too. Like again, it it all not to, not to beat a dead horse, but it all comes down to preference. Because like you saying it being meditative, like I don't want to sit in my own head in the woods. It's a like, dangerous, I don't want to That's a dangerous place, out. Zach. Yeah, I want to. Yeah. I want to go and focus on different things. And for me, like it's it's better to just be moving around and kind of again escape. It it, it helps me escape. Yep on the ground and and for some people like like i know my dad has said said like that he really likes to sometimes just sit and chill out yep. and that be free stand and relax and that you know i think that that's i think obviously that's just the exact example of why it's different for everybody mm-hmm. and the other thing though too that no matter like let's say i i, I just this would be my this would be make me about as happy as anything like if i get a people involved in the hunting on the ground and they're super excited about it. That's awesome. But like, even if you're the, this would get me almost as excited as anything. If you're the type of guy that you're like, no matter what, you're going to sit, sit in a tree stand, you're going to set up no matter what. If you watch a buck bed down with a doe, go kill him. Do not continue to sit in that tree stand and hope. If you have eyes on him, go kill him. Even if you're the most hardcore tree stand guy of all time, like go kill the buck. Like he's right and like don't don't argue anything other than the fact i mean the the dang thing is there you can see <laughs> you know? and like yep. if that's the case, i guess if that's the case like just have confidence in yourself as essentially a predator you know like you are a predator and it, you know you got to hunt like you're a predator at some point you know you have to go and get aggressive like that i think i i'm just i just really feel like at the very least, it opens some doors to have this in your playbook and it's worth having. It's, you know, the best hunter out there has a very open playbook. He's going to do whatever it takes. Yeah. And I absolutely. just think our, our eyes are on our, fr- on the front of our face for a reason. Yep. Go use them. 
Yep. Man. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess, I guess I hope that, you know, I've, I've talked enough about just, you know, some, some specific tactics. I mean, you know, I the, 100% the, think so. I mean, I think that's a lot, there's a lot in there that like anyone that is curious about it or whatever, like has some good inspiration and stuff to like get started and at least resources to point them in the right spot. I mean, you know, how many not, hunts do you guys have on the channel right now that, that would serve as a oh my gosh a template for getting started in this That's stuff? That's such a good thing to point out, Eric, too. It's like, you know, you can listen to this, but if you want to see it, and sometimes, you know, maybe sometimes seeing is believing, yep. but also, yeah. like, you know, just help better helping illustrate all the stuff that Zach is talking about, like, and just getting yeah. a clearer picture of how that goes down. Yep. I mean, definitely, I mean, number one, you'll be entertained because it's just, amazingly cool content but you're going to learn a ton on the on the thp thp platform one thing that i would will say too like you know i guess a, a couple quick like hitters if you're doing hunting thick bedding areas and you're kind of feeling like monotonous and you can't find the deer don't be afraid to like during that time frame move around and call too like just generally speaking like you know do you're still hunting but then get close to bedding areas and grunt or rattle uh make a bunch of noise and try to sound like a deer deer making a scrape or something, you know, get into areas where you can glass in the morning and maybe catch deer going back to bed, move in on it later. You know, don't, don't, I guess during that rut time frame, just don't overthink it or don't feel like you have to be on a pinch point or a cruising area necessarily. Like yep. the door is very open. Maybe try to bump a buck with a doe right. bed. Like something I do, I, I straight up try to bump like lightly, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, spook him real hard, but like the situation I used exa an example of earlier you can bump one and he you kind of know the direction that he went lightly but the other thing too to keep in mind can i ask why why would you intentionally bump that deer just because you want him in just a different spot you board you or something get <laughs> to i just want to find him like i just want to know that he exists yep so, oh so you're oh. saying you haven't seen him already and you're like i'm just gonna yeah. bump him for the heck of it you're like i know there's probably a buck here so i'm gonna just yep. okay. exactly it's like okay. exactly Flushing a bird and then it's going like, in after him after he lands. I was about to say, okay. or yeah, like being your own, on your own deer drive for yourself. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. Kind. Of, I mean, it's just getting that visual, you know, like whatever it takes to get to get the knowledge that one is in the game or is in the area, and then I'm in the game. I feel like you know, and yep. not it's not always that easy, but like you know, if I've got a visual on something, then I can cut distance, like, and probably get eyes on him again. That is the ideal situation, and like I just love. I love knowing what's going on by looking at it. Yep, you know, yep. Barry, you know, like you, you may be listening to this in a different state and being like, well, it's all thick timber here. That doesn't apply to me. Well, it, it still can, yep. like, you know, you just have to understand how, how the deer move and, and kind of interact with the landscape. But the other thing too, that I, that I want to point out, and, and this really holds true for this rut time frame, It's like, and something you can watch on our videos is like, deer don't have superpowers like yes they can smell but they can't see as well as you can and really they can hear pretty well they can pick up on noise as well but they can't like they can't differentiate right. things like we can exactly you exactly. know what i'm saying like yep. to a certain degree yes like don't you don't want to like undercredit them but you don't want to overcredit them like sometimes like facebook like you can like you're all part of all these pages you know somehow somebody adds you to some Right, know, right. You know, extreme whitetail tactics or something, and like, yes, I'll sit, there, I'll sit there and I'll look at like somebody will make this post about something and talk about like it's like they're talking about so many fine details of what the wind's doing and the condition. And I'm like, 
dude, you're overthinking this. Like, we're not hunting like Superman here. Like, we're hunting, we're hunting an animal that just like lives in the woods and can smell pretty well. But otherwise, like, don't, don't. Tony Peterson calls them rabbits with antlers, man, and it's yeah. so perfect. Yeah, and yes, that's a that's a great, a great quote. And I I just think that you don't want to overthink it to the point that like you're trying to think of the science of the way the wind's floating off your tree stand and how much scent you got. I mean, just relax and go hunt where the deer are and don't overthink it to the point where like, you know, if you're moving too fast, they're going to blow. You're going to learn from that. The next time you're probably not going to go as fast. If you set up in a tree stand and the wind is swirling, like one bust you, you're going to learn for the next time that, Hey, if I'm in a situation like this, you know, Here's, here's the reality of deer hunting and, and hunting and, and, and anything in life that you d- decide to pursue and try to have success with. You can try to read the books. You can read, you can read into anything as much as you want. Like, for example, you can read into hunting. You could read into, I mean, like there's books about being a parent, right. but like you can't read a book and be a perfect parent. You can't, you can't read a book and be a perfect hunter. The only way you get better at doing these things is to do them. Yep. So like, if you're listening to this, use it as, as help for, you know, and motivation to do certain things. But like, by all means, like yep. you got to just go hunting and yep. like, yep. you have to just go hunting and learn what you can get away with, what you can't get away with. And like, that's the only reason people ask us questions all the time. And those questions vary anything from like, how do you find a place to go? Or how do you, how do you even pick a place on a map? You know what the answer ultimately is? We've done it a lot. Right. Right. And really fortunate that we've created, you know, the opportunity to be able to do that or, or, you know, we, that's our job. That's what we do. We're always hunting, but you only learn these things by doing it. Yep. Yep. And And, and get pointers, but like, you got to do it. Exactly. And speaking of that, Zach, where can people follow along and all that good stuff? So YouTube is a big thing. Like, I, I don't even know how many videos, probably 600 now, like a ton of them. So we've got YouTube, we've got I think we're on Amazon Prime, we're on Instagram, Facebook, and then we also have our own podcast as well. Yep. You know, if you check out our YouTube channel, like in the description of that YouTube channel, there's like links to all of the other things that yep. we're on as well. So, I mean, YouTube's a big one. And then, um, yeah, really, that's where the majority of our content is. So we also have a website that has like merchandise and stuff like yep. that too. And if you're listening to this between November and December, there might be a cool way for people to win an opportunity to to tag along with you guys and mm-hmm. put a lot of this stuff into play. Yeah, man. I mean, it's just one of those things. I think the more that people do it, the more that people, you know, kind of try new stuff, the more that, you know, everybody can get, you kind of build your own style and you can make it more fun, man. Right. That's a, that's a big thing. I really just want people to go out there and find what works for them and to just enjoy it because I can, Cause I can honestly say at one point in my hunting career, it's a little embarrassing to even say, but like, I didn't enjoy it. Yep. Like looking at how much fun I have now versus how much fun I was having. I was, I didn't enjoy it. I was just, I was doing it because I liked it. I liked it. And I liked the idea of it almost, but like, I wasn't doing what worked for me. And now that I am like, that's my number one interest is like, go enjoy it for like whatever reasons you want to. Like yep. if you're, if you're, more into like shooting or something, you know, spend your time hunting with the rifle and your maybe spend your time hunting small game or doing whatever, right. but like find what really makes you click, man. And like, don't, don't just like 
feel like you have to do any certain thing because you know the media is telling you yep. the media is the bad guy <laughs> i like it man zach are you trying to insinuate that hunting should be fun is that what you're Honey, i don't know yes couldn't agree, <laughs> yep. couldn't agree. Couldn't be trying to get to that point any anymore. It'll never work. Yep. <laughs> I like it, man. No, that's awesome, man. I mean, I loved all this, and man, I had like a bazillion bullet points of some spe- other specific things or questions I wanted to ask. So I don't. Know, hopefully, there's maybe, maybe a, there's a follow up in yeah, the future. A, a part uh, a part due to this one. Well, I um, think the rut will probably happen again. So there's always more opportunities to talk about it. This yep. is true. This is true. Well, like Eric said, let's. Uh, enjoy this upcoming rut yep maybe get a little bit weird with it and then uh have a bunch more experiences and we'll debrief yep perfect i can sounds awesome thanks awesome. zach thanks, thanks zach. so much zach awesome really thank appreciate you guys. it all right yeah, thanks. we'll see you later thanks for listening everybody we'll catch you next time bye bye all right that'll wrap it up for this episode of the vortex nation podcast thanks everybody for listening Hit that subscribe button so you can always stay up to date on the latest happenings over here at the Vortex Nation podcast. Leave us a review or comment down below. We want to hear what you have to say about the show. Maybe what you like, maybe what you didn't like. So that way we can make these podcasts as good as they can be. You can also follow us on Instagram at Vortex Nation podcast. We'll be posting about each episode released. So that way you can go back, find these things Maybe grab a little nugget of information that you can take with you to the range, out in the field, or uh, maybe to the kitchen if we're talking about some good food. So, again, everybody, thanks, and happy hunting and shooting. We appreciate it. Have a good one.